My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God verse by verse. So glad you're joining me, continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew and uh, Matthew chapter 15. Today we're going to be picking up at verse 21 and getting through to the end of the chapter in verse 39, and I'm looking forward to this journey with you. Now, what we've just seen in the previous verses is Jesus addressing the Pharisees who accused him of uh, allowing his disciples to eat without washing their hands. And Jesus said, listen, you're more interested in the traditions of men than you are the words of God and what the word of God actually says. And don't you know that it's what comes out of you that defiles you, not what goes in? And then he gets into this next phase of his ministry in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, uh, Tyre and Sidon, they are Gentile cities. They're north of Jerusalem in modern-day Lebanon, Syria, just over the border. Uh, Not very far away from where Jesus was, but long enough to, you know, a couple of days' walk to get there. And Jesus went all this way to meet this one Gentile woman's needs. We find that out later on. And... It's a remarkable and unexpected love from Jesus to this woman of Canaan because she's somebody unlikely to be a recipient of Jesus' mercy and healing power. Now, Matthew uses the old term, it was already an old term, term by the time Matthew used it, of a Canaanite, somebody who was a Canaanite, which shows that it was important that her ancestry not be forgotten. D.A. Carson, now this woman who was previously a Canaanite, a descendant of Israel's ancient enemies, comes to the Jewish Messiah for a blessing. Now, it's highly unlikely for Jesus to go to Tyre and Sidon at all. Uh, At that time, Josephus wrote, at that time or not much later, uh, of the Phoenicians, which were the Greeks, the the Tyrians, have the most ill-fought feeling towards us. That was a quote from a Jewish historian, Josephus. Spurgeon said, Let us always plough to the very end of the field and serve our day and generation to the extreme limits of our sphere. Talking about Jesus, saying, Hey, listen, he didn't just stay. He went as far as he could to do whatever he needed to do. So this woman says to him some very interesting words. She says, Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So she came to intercede for her daughter. And she provides a very effective picture of an effective intercessor. Her great need had taught her how to pray. So when she came to Jesus, she made her daughter's needs her own. And she said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. This Gentile woman also understood who Jesus was. She knew who he was. So interesting that many of Jesus' countrymen and countrywomen didn't know who Jesus was, even though they'd seen all these amazing miracles, but this woman from Canaan did. 
perhaps this woman knew that Jesus had healed Gentiles before because, you know, that, that had happened. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 8. But what made this encounter unique is that Jesus did those miracles as Gentiles came to him in Jewish territory. But here, Jesus went to Gentile territory and he meets this woman. Um, territorial borders meant very little to Jesus. He always respected the political perspectives of the day, uh, understanding that there were different geopolitical boundaries, but that didn't mean anything to him in relation to where he needed to go to perform miracles. Now, now, him going to the land of Canaan was, in his mind, the same as going into a leper colony to heal a leper. No, you're not meant to go there. Who cares? I've got healing to be done. There's compassion to be shown. Okay, verse, uh, let's move on. Verse 23. He answered her not a word. So this woman has amazing you know, faith and he answers her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. But he, an he answered and he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Even though this Gentile mother was interceding on behalf of her daughter, Jesus did not actually immediately give her a very encouraging reply. His reticence then drew more of an energetic and faith-filled response from the Gentile woman. Uh, Augustine said this, St. Augustine said this, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago. The word Jesus spoke not a word. And that was so unlike him. Spurgeon goes on. He who was always so ready with responses to the cry of grief had no response for her. So the disciples say, send her away because she's crying out after us. What she, what I think the likely meaning of what the disciples said was, look, just send her away. Give her what she wants. She wants to be her daughter released and healed. Just heal her, you know, get it done so we can move on. They just wanted her to go away. And the easiest way for her to get away was Jesus solved the problem. RT friends, the same verb in Luke 2.29 applies to a dismissal with a desired satisfied. In other words, the disciples wanted Jesus to send her away and they knew that the only way to send her away was if she got what she had asked for. And Jesus says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus defined the focus of his mission to his very irritated disciples and to this Gentile woman. He made it clear he was not sent to the Gentiles first like her. Now, it, it's fair to ask a question, did Jesus mean lost sheep among the house of Israel or meant to say that Israel as a whole were lost sheep? Because Jesus' instructions to his disciples in Matthew 10, uh, verse 6, I go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, would seem to imply the latter that uh, all of Israel were lost sheep. Verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him. So he hasn't answered her. And then she comes and worships him and says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She responded to this apparent rebuff from Jesus with an increased dedication 
to prevail with her request. And this Gentile woman showed what a dedicated intercessor does. They don't give up. Spurgeon said she could not solve the problems of the destiny of her race as a Canaanite and of the Lord's commission, but she could pray. If as a shepherd he may not gather, then yet as Lord he may help her. So there's an understanding that she knew when Jesus was talking about the difference between the Canaanites and Israel. She's like, yeah, I get that. Totally fine with that. I just want you to heal my daughter. As Lord, as Messiah, would you just heal her? Spurgeon said, I urge you who seek the conversion of others to follow her example. Notice she did not pray, Lord, help my daughter, but Lord, help me. I commend this prayer to you, Spurgeon goes on to say, because it is such a handy prayer. You can use it when you are in a hurry. You can use it when you are in a fright. You can use it when you have not time to bow your knee. You can use it in the pulpit if you're going to preach. You can use it when you are opening your shop. You can use it when you are rising in the morning. It is such a handy prayer that I hardly know any position in which you could not pray it. Lord, help me. So, Jesus says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. An interesting statement. Jesus continued to actually say things which, which could appear to be very discouraging to this woman. But it wasn't actually as severe as what it might sound. Because when Jesus called her one of the little dogs, he used the word little as a way to soften the harshness of calling her a dog. Uh, which softened the traditional Jewish slur towards Gentiles and Canaanites, which called them dogs, but when it called them dogs, it was calling them dogs in a derogatory sense. But Jesus was effectively calling her a little puppy, something worthy of affection. Guzik, we are at the great disadvantage of not hearing the tone of Jesus' voice as he spoke to this woman. We suspect that his tone was actually not harsh, we rather suspect that it was winsome with the effect of inviting greater faith from the woman. It is possible to speak harsh words in a playful or winsome manner. And that's true. A.B. Bruce said, Its harshest word, dogs, contains a loophole. Dogs does not compare Gentiles to the dogs without in the street, but to the household dogs belonging to the family which have their portion, though not the children's. So, she says, yes, Lord, I understand that not even the dogs, the little puppies, who are cared for by a family lovingly, should eat at the expense of the children in that house. But she responded with faith. She admitted her own lowly position. She didn't debate the issue as to whether Jesus called her one of the little dogs or the puppy. She didn't demand to be seen as a child. She only asked to be blessed as a little puppy, as a dog. Guzik, it was as if she said, Jesus, I understand that the focus of your ministry is to the Jews, that they have a special place in God's redemptive plan. But I also understand that your ministry extends beyond the Jewish people. And I want to be part of that extended blessing. 
Her, her response is especially meaningful in light of the increasing rejection of Jesus by the Jewish religious leaders, because it was as if the woman said, look, I'm not asking for the portion that belongs to the children. I just want the crumbs that they don't want. And in the flow of Matthew's gospel, as we read this, there's more and more that the Jewish religious establishment did not want to receive. So there was more for others to eat. Now, there were two faithful words that this woman said. She said, yet even. So she accepted Jesus' description. She asked for mercy despite of it, or maybe perhaps because of it. And she said, yet even would you do this? Verse 27. So let's move on to verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Finally, the woman gets an encouraging word from Jesus. O woman, great is your faith. Now, let me tell you something about this statement. Jesus never said this statement to anybody else. Nobody. Now, he complimented the faith of the Roman centurion who asked to uh, for Jesus to heal his servant. But he said about the faith of the centurion, he said it to the crowd. But he didn't say it to the centurion directly. This Gentile woman heard from Jesus words that nobody else heard. O woman, great is your faith. What an amazing moment for that Gentile Canaanite woman. Now, What's the significance of the fact that only two people ever received this compliment, one to a crowd, one directly? i tell you the significance. Neither one of them were Jewish. Both of them were Gentiles, the centurion and this woman. Great faith is found in unexpected places. Not only was it found in unexpected places, it was found in the most unexpected of the unexpected places. One, a centurion... In the, in the army, and another, a woman. People at the time would have been a woman receiving that, a centurion receiving that, the two extremes of people that would never have thought. But great faith is sometimes measured from its own disadvantages. Their faith was great, the centurion and the woman, because it didn't have the advantage of being fed by the religious traditions of men. It was simple. It was just based on who Jesus was. Faith is often greatest when it's expressed on behalf of somebody else's need. Both the centurion and the woman came asking for a need for somebody else, not for them. The greatest faith that Jesus saw was faith on behalf of other people. Amazing. Her faith was great enough so that she actually got to receive her request which is what she desired from Jesus all along. And who was it for? Her own daughter. David Guzik made some observations. Her faith was great, even compared to her other virtues. She was humble, patient, persevering. She cared for her child, but Jesus didn't compliment any of these other things about her. He only complimented on her faith. Her faith was great because it was unlikely. No one would have expected a Gentile to trust Jesus so much. Her faith was great because she worshipped Jesus even before he'd actually answered her prayer. 
and given her what she asked. Her faith was great because it had been tested so severely. It's hard to think of any greater test than having a demon-possessed child in your home. But her faith was also tried by the seeming indifference or coldness of Jesus. She comes to Jesus. She's living with a tormented daughter. She comes to him. He doesn't even answer her when she first asks, does she give in? No, she presses in. She worships him. That's her faith. Her faith was great because it was clever. She was. She actually had clever faith. She turned Jesus' word inside out and made what might have been taken as an insult as a door to open the faith. When he said about the little dogs, she said, "Yes, I'm not. I don't care. I don't want what the children eat. I just want whatever they don't want, and I'm happy to have whatever's okay for the dogs." Her faith was great because it concerned a need that was directly in front of her own experience. It was a very real need. It was her daughter. Many people have faith for everything except those things that are right in front of them. They can believe for all these other things, but not the things that are right in front of them. Her faith was great because it was, it was persistent and would never give up. She didn't stop until she got what she wanted from Jesus. She was determined. Uh, Jesus healed not only her daughter. It's interesting, Jesus didn't, Jesus went over and above what she asked in the end because she just asked if you would heal my daughter. Jesus healed her daughter, but he did it instantaneously. She actually didn't ask for that, but Jesus did it. Uh, interesting. We read of Jesus doing nothing else when he traveled to Tyre and Sidon. He did nothing else. So it would seem that his entire visit to this area was for this divine appointment to meet the need of this woman because of her faith and the afflictions of her daughter. See, Jesus wasn't straightforward. He's always thinking of the eternal purposes of God. Always. So, then we go on to an amazing story. Uh, remember, we've in, in previous chapters, we've read about the feeding of the 5,000. Well, now we have something similar about to happen again. Jesus heals this woman's daughter and then departs from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. And then great multitudes came, when verse 31, came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus has barely withdrawn from the multitudes uh, and he still had this amazing amount of work to do among the multitudes. Most commentators actually believe that this, this uh, marks a unique period in the ministry of Jesus when he, he did his healing and his providing work in the predominantly Gentile region of Galilee. Now, when you correlate this with what uh, is recorded in Mark chapter 7, 31 to 37. This story happened on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which was an area known as Decapolis. The remoteness of this place, which was in the wilderness, fits better with the eastern side. The western side was where Nazareth was, Tiberius, Magdala, Capernaum's up in the north. G. Campbell Morgan, these people were most probably heathen or semi-heathen gathered from the region of the Decapolis. And as Jesus healed and provided for this mixed or predominantly Gentile multitude, 
It showed that the Gentiles were in fact getting more than just a few crumbs from the table, uh, as he'd said to the woman before about the dogs. So they bring all the people that need healing, lay them down at Jesus' feet, and he heals them. Now, we read nothing about any of the faith of those people who were healed, except for the fact that they came to Jesus for help. That's it. And they glorified the God of Israel. Even in something as potentially self-promoting as the ministry of healing, Jesus always drew attention to God the Father, the God of Israel. This multitude, which was likely predominantly Gentile, learned to praise not Jesus, but the God of Israel. So then we go on to how this all plays out. So we'll, we'll read from here down to the end of the, uh, of the chapter. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitude, again, because they have now continued with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, gave them to the, to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. This miracle follows the same pattern as the previous miracle of feeding the 5,000. But it reveals that the disciples were generally just as slow to believe as you and I are. Where can we get enough bread in the wilderness? Obviously, none of them had remembered what he'd just done. Uh, now, R.T. France makes an interesting observation. Perhaps the disciples didn't expect Jesus to do the same miracle because these were Gentiles. Previously, he'd done it for Jewish people. Maybe they thought, oh, these Gentiles, he's not going to feed them with a miracle. Don't know. But it's important to see that this is not a retelling of the story of the 5,000. This is Jesus feeding a multitude again. And there are some big differences between the feeding of the 5,000 men and the 4,000 men. Both ways, there's more than 4,000 or 5,000 people there. There's different numbers being fed. One's 5,000, one's 4,000. There's different locations. One's on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. The other's on the eastern side. Uh, different seasons of the year. Uh, indicated by no mention of grass in, in, in this particular story. Uh, different supply of food at the beginning. It was the little boy. Then Jesus said to the disciples, in this time, what do you have? Different numbers of leftovers at the end. Even a different word for baskets in the second account and a different period of the time of waiting. In the first feeding of the 5,000, it was just during the day. They'd just been there for one day. Here, they'd been there for three days. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So here we have again, Jesus did what only he could do. He did the creative miracle in his hands, but he left it to the disciples to do what they could do. What was that? Distribute the miracle. So they all ate and were filled. Seven large baskets. Previously, it was 12. This time, it's seven. Again, at the end of the meal, they gather more, not less. In other words, everybody got fed. There was more left over. God didn't just meet their need. He provided an abundance. 
consistently. How many times does he have to do that for the disciples to get it? How many times has he got to do it for you and I to actually get it? He doesn't, he's not, he very rarely ever just meets our bare minimum requirements. He's always about blessing and giving us an abundance. The, the way that Jesus fed the Jews and miraculously fed the Gentiles in the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, totally different people, shows us that Jesus came to feed everybody and he came to feed everybody miraculously. It was something that was anticipated by the Jewish people, but some of them were offended that Jesus would perform the same miracles for non-Jewish people. But Jesus said, I've come for everybody. So what's my observation? Jesus does the creative supernatural miracles. We get to distribute those miracles and the results of those miracles based on who comes to us for prayer and who we go to to pray over. Jesus has already done it all. You and I just need to pray. That's all. Do what he asks us to do. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to not think that we, we have anything to do with the miracle. We're just the recipients. You've already done it. Let us be the distributors. I pray, God, that every time we pray for somebody or somebody comes to us for prayer, that we would believe that you can do miracles instantaneously, miraculously right now. Lord, to help us believe in the true power of the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And the God, that we would have a heart's desire to see you continue to do miracles. Let us be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.